Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. The 2024 theme for Black History Month is Black Art and Black Artisans. The Project Parenthood podcast will explore this topic in conversations with Black-identifying art therapists about the ways they're using the expressive arts in therapy with Black children, parents, and families to address issues like racial identity, oppression, ancestral trauma, sociocultural justice, and race-based traumatic stress. In today's episode, I'm talking with Bronx, New York-based art therapist, Kelly Nicely. Welcome back to Project Parenthood. I'm your host, Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist. Each week, I'll help you repair and deepen your parent-child connection, increase self-compassion and cooperation from your kids, and cultivate joy, peace, and resilience in your relationship with them. Kelly Nicely is a licensed and registered creative arts therapist in Bronx, New York, specializing in issues of identity, grief, and loss and affect regulation. Kelly has been working in the field of mental health for 17 years, obtained her license in 2011, and graduated from the Pratt Institute in 2009. Kelly is licensed in the state of New York and works remotely and in person with her clientele. In 2018, Kelly established the organization The Peace and Protection Healing Arts Collective, which is dedicated to addressing mental health issues that are both caused by and lead to perpetual cycles of maltreatment, including systemic oppression, violence, and exploitative behavior. As such, addressing issues of identity, human rights, and personal dignity is integral to Kelly's clinical practice. Kelly brings a strong sense of attunement to her therapy practice, working with a diverse array of clients, helping them to increase their sense of self and improve their tolerance of a wide range of feeling states. Kelly employs a client-centered approach, offering strategies and encouragement to assist the client with overcoming adverse symptoms and ultimately materializing their personal goals. Here's my chat with Kelly. Let's sort of jump in. I'm really excited to have you here. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how your journey in art therapy has intersected with issues of anti-Blackness or oppression, and whether that's with you or your clients or during your training or maybe even when you've been in art therapy yourself? Yes. Um, Well, you know, in deciding to become an art therapist and in the educational process, you know, I was um, marginalized even in the education just from sheer numbers and people who were in the program. And that was definitely felt the way it's felt as a person who's Black in this country, on this planet. Uh, so it started there. Um, and it starts with my personal identity. And so, yeah, I definitely had experiences in the educational process at that time, which is now between 15 and 20 years ago. Um, the ethics that we, in terms of um, cultural diversity, 
was minimal. It was about one day long in terms of training. Um, and even in that experience, there was something that felt inappropriate that occurred in that training program. But since then, that school has, you know, extensively developed their program. Um, of course, the impact of Black Lives Matter on many organizations that school included was really felt. And I even participated in a panel for uh, some of the students of color to discuss these issues and the need for more cultural competency training. So that's happening. And I've also participated in cultural competency trainings with that institution. My first job after graduating was working with adults living with HIV and AIDS who also deal with co-occurring issues of substance use and mental health. And uh, because it was a Medicaid-funded program, inherently um, people who are living on Medicaid or have a limited income, uh, which has its own set of effects. And so working with that group of people it was really joyful, honestly, for me, but of course, extremely educational, really trained me on all of the myriad issues associated with such a group, uh, which carries over to a lot of other people of color. Um, and so then after that, um, I worked in private practice, and that was a bit of a shift because now you're working with people who are working and um maybe have higher income. And unfortunately, the demographics weren't the same. And I wasn't able to work with as many people of color. However, since the pandemic, I ended up striking out on my own. And through marketing resources, I've been able to attract more people of color, especially women of color. And now my um, roster is probably majority women of color. Yeah, and and so as you're working, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you say that you sort of more, you know, I, I imagine like most of us sort of pivoted to working more online, right, since the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. But in the past or recently, mm -hmm. um, how have you worked with Black children or Black parents through the art therapy lens to make meaning of their racialized experiences and traumas using art therapy techniques? Right. Yeah. So um, I worked with men of color and high level of trauma experiences and a lot of multi-layer. Uh, I dealt with this with my mother and I dealt with this with my child and my child feels this towards me and all of this generational cyclical emotions. Um, so you know, one of the ways we worked together in that group to create solidarity, we would take um, images of like um, uplifted women, mostly black women, like, you know, really curating a collection of collage material to make sure it really looked like the people in the group and creating self-portraits. Um, using collage because it's very accessible. You don't have to be able to draw, for example, and organize images that would resonate with the members to create a reflection of yourself, which was empowering and uplifting in terms of your self-image. It's a great way to respond to feelings of depression 
um, but also being able to share that with each other, more understanding of what's underneath the surface. Um, and just through the creative process itself, redirected any tendency towards arguing for no reason or infighting, as we might say. And that was like an entry point to create the solidarity. And then, of course, many of these women had such similar experiences that the dialogue ended up being the point for which they could coach each other. So you're talking about sort of a group experience where using collage for self-portraiture and also just maybe even just the discussing of here's my collage and here's what this collage means to me is helpful for, you know, creating that dialogue amongst the members of this group, right? And, yes. y- you know, I'm, I'm also thinking about in your response just now, you're, I'm thinking about each person sort of thinking about their own experience and sort of creating those images that look like them and that sort of self-story. And then I'm also wondering about that, that piece as you were talking about, that intergenerational piece. And, you know, I'm wondering if you've had any experiences with using art therapy to sort of address those more abstract, sort of that ancestral healing or um, that sort of more abstract ideas about liberation or resistance or social justice that people make want to create through the creative process, sort of addressing those things or being able to express those ideas through art? Yes, you know, I haven't worked with parents and children together, um, but I've definitely worked with women who have children. And in that sense, one one of the reasons that I don't do art therapy all the time is because of the online interface. But I also attract artists, and the artists may bring their own material to the table. And in that sense, we might break it down, or I might even say, oh, it seems like you're exploring this theme. What do you think about that? And then it engenders, it's almost like journal writing for the writer, right? That's just the type of experience we might have. And so in that sense, you know, I'm remembering working with a pregnant woman, for example, And it was so important to her to not recreate some of the experiences she had in her mother-child relationship. And so a lot of that was coming out in her artwork and in the process. I would say thematically, you know, the work I do with women who have children is to acknowledge the reparenting process, like you're reparenting yourself as your child grows in front of you. And, you know, uh, what's what's getting kicked up? What's coming up? Let's process that. Um, how that looks through the art therapy process. Um, I don't have a specific intervention. Um, and, you know, sometimes we're co-creating. I would say that collage intervention is a primary go-to for especially folks that, you know, maybe wouldn't call themselves an artist or... Um, being able to use even in the online platform because I can you can't find your own images I can send some to you I can kind of coach you how you can find your own images you can work on that collage in between sessions and we can look at it the next time and talk about it and it supports the continuation of that processing and dialogue ah so you're even saying 
not only things that you're doing sort of together in session, but also work that they can do in between. Maybe they're working on this collage sort of in between and bringing it back to session to sort of, here's what came up for me mm-hmm. in the interim. Very interesting. I've never taken, I've never done an art therapy session, so I actually don't know how it works. So this is like new information for me too. I'm also mm-hmm. wondering just in your travels in art therapy, working with all different kinds of patients, you know, I'm wondering about the types of creative projects you might have seen where people are really connecting to self on a new level, maybe a level they haven't experienced before in a talk therapy kind of way, right? Um, maybe there are things that they're able to express or tap into creatively that they may not have just in a conversational kind of format. And I'm wondering just um, if you have any Certainly, we're talking about in this form, you know, talking about connecting to yourself in terms of maybe a racialized experience, but even just in a general, in a more, you know, zoomed out way, just connecting to self in a new and different way through a creative process. I mean, just to speak to that a little bit, I think being given the space to focus on yourself, if you happen to be racialized, that's what's going to come up, among other things in that self-exploration. And that's exactly why it's so important to make sure whatever imagery you're using looks like the person you're working with. So if my client is Black and I'm giving them white images, I'm highlighting the racialized like magazine group set or auto reply from Google, right? So I have to be attuned to that and consider that and make the modifications and even speak about that with the client that you may have to make the modifications to make sure this affirms you, right? And speaking a little bit more to your question, yeah, I mean, I've worked with people that will barely speak in this session and they're able to speak, right? But they are not ready to, or they just can't. And so sometimes I would just slide the materials or give them some options and wait. And then they would start. Mm. And uh, I would just kind of hold the space. And if it either was time or it looked like they were starting to finish, then we would speak about that. And that would be sort of the source material. And it, it gives them space, takes some of the intensity away. And then, okay, we're talking about this instead of you. And even they can step outside of their experience. And it's like a three-way conversation now. And then in terms of an actual experiential that um, I have, um, I took a training course on, is called the Broken Bowl Workshop. And I can email you um, the woman who created that um, so you have that information. But basically the person supplies ceramic bowls and paints them white before giving them to you. So they're all this, like, basically like a canvas. Um, And you turn it over and you take a hammer and there's a lot of coaching that happens through this because it's kind of activating. And you take the hammer and you break it. You break it inside of a bag so it doesn't, you know, create a dangerous sharp edges cutting situation. And then you have a bag filled with pieces. And then you put the pieces back together. You see how they fit. You explore the pieces. You adorn them. You paint them. You glitter on whatever you have, whatever you want. 
and then you reassemble it. Mm-hmm. And throughout that entire process, you're thinking about experiences. You're thinking about the experience or one of the experiences. And you're also like integrating, right? You're rebuilding in the aftermath. And so it's a beautiful metaphor, but there's something psychological happening when you do that, when you go through that process. And it really has healing effects. It's very powerful. And if you're in a group as well, and that's also being witnessed, and, you know, everybody's being vulnerable and supportive, it's especially healing. Yeah, you know, you're bringing up something as you're talking, then you're talking about the vulnerability sort of, uh, and the witnessing of that vulnerability with other people. It's reminding me of um, Resma Monicum, you know, this idea of like, healing in collectivity, right? This, um, that broken bowl imagery in my mind, but also just the, the idea of putting things back together in that integration piece must be so powerful. And I'm imagining, you know, as you're saying, you know, for any number of traumas, racialized or no, um, you know, thinking about the idea of being able to manipulate all those pieces, you know, the idea of being able to put something I'm imagining in my own mind, you know, maybe you want to draw or paint on both sides of that broken piece that you then merge with other pieces, right? Um, It's so that's such an interesting thing to do. And, you know, it leads me into, you know, my last question, I'm thinking about this in terms of things that right parents, you know, who are the main my audience here, thinking about what what are some types of things that they can do with their children, potentially, if their children have a propensity for art, or just as, um, you know, a lot of kids don't have a ton of language, right? You know, um, especially the younger they are, even just because maybe I'm a teenager, and I'm just, you know, things feel much more mixed up inside of me. And I don't I'm not as coherent about what's going on for me. It's harder for me to talk about it. I'm thinking about this broken bowl, activity, but I'm also thinking about it in terms of even in, if it were um, like a, a flat picture of something, you know, like a picture from a magazine that you cut cut into pieces and then put that back together, right? Thinking about that, but I'm also just wondering if, if um, there's any experiences that you've had that um, that are things that come from art therapy, but that are also something that a parent might do at home or at least invite their child to do at home if they wanted to, if their child was processing something or wanted to process something more, a more creative way. And I'm just bringing something up just because it's, um, one thing that I once did with my own child, uh, long ago is, uh, when my child was a toddler, can't even quite remember what it was she was upset about, but I, she was sort of, venting about whatever it was she was upset about. And I just started writing the things down that she was saying. You know, I started saying, you know, you're really angry about this, and you're really mad about that. And I made it into sort of a little book and, um, and like drew a picture on it. Like, I'm not I can't draw at all. (laughs) But like, I just sort of drew, you know, a face and I'm like, this is you. And, you know, you're really angry. I drew an angry face, like an angry emoji face, like you're really angry about this. And I wrote down some of the things and, you know, is is did I get that right? Did I, you know, write down the right thing? And then we made this little like two, three page book, right? And, and even for like the next week, she was like, well, let's read the book together, bring out the book. And she was like, yeah, I was really mad about that. And she was maybe three or four or something like this. But, you know, sort of things that parents can use in the moment, but also just in a general way, like using a creative process to help kids sort of, you know, figure out their own mind. Um, 
and and even parents doing that for themselves, right? I mean, that's that was sort of me facilitating something for my child, but also, you know, parents, I get so many um parents talking about their own dysregulation, their own like I want to be able to regulate myself so I can show up for my child in whatever uh situation. And I'm wondering, you know, as, you know, emotional or affect regulation is something that is part of something you specialize in, like, what are some things that you've used to help people with their affect regulation in this creative way? Right. Yeah, I love that story. And it's a great idea. Um, I mean, if we're speaking about affect relation as the subject, it it definitely um, is broader than our therapy. And especially because I work with a wide group of people, some of whom are no interest in art. Honestly, I would go straight to um, body work, you know, um, mindfulness and meditation. Uh, that's really where I would go to immediately. Um, I I think if a person doesn't have a meditation practice, it would be my first recommendation if they're dealing with anxiety or um, hypervigilance, uh, or you know, just this heightened state frequently, I would say you've got to get into some meditation and I can give you some resources of how to develop such a practice because that's, that's what you want to be able to call it immediately. Beyond that, I think what you created with your child was the time to process, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think to answer your question, um, in addition to mindfulness is creating the time and space for yourself and or you and your child to address it, right? Like to have a moment to be able to take inventory of what I'm actually feeling and if I'm bothered and what am I actually bothered by. And, you know, if your child is upset in a way that's beyond like frustrated with the rules, you know, that you've set forth, then what time is that for them to be able to think and process what they're thinking and feeling? And then, of course, also, how do you deal with your frustration of, you know, following the rules that I've set forth, you know? And again, I think that goes back to me as the parent, making sure all of these, you know, um, boundaries are from a calm place, giving that child the space to air out their frustration while still following the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that time and space piece is is a very big deal. It's hard to give ourselves that, um, I find, um, just for ourselves, just time and space, as you were speaking about connecting to body and meditation, mindfulness. That's very hard. I'm wondering if any kind of, if I'm a person who is just uh, not really familiar with meditation, mindfulness, what's something that you may have done maybe in a session that has sort of opened up that space for someone to maybe experience a little bit of that or dip their toe into that sort of mindfulness pool? Well, during the session, I tend to do it energetically. Like we hold space for our clients. So um, I I allow a lot of quiet to happen. Um, I don't necessarily rush to ask the next question, like let things hang in the air, kind of creating a vibe, especially with in-person sessions. I have done guided meditations using recordings for specific purposes in the sessions. Um, I also happen to be trained in Reiki and I've used some Reiki based 
meditations as well. By and large, I will recommend, you know, YouTube, certain apps for them to, again, explore in their own time. Personally, I'm a practicing Buddhist and I chant every day to gather myself. And uh, because that's a religion, I don't tend to offer that to every client at every session. However, when people uh, are interested and um, inquiring, maybe ask a personal question that I don't think, you know, would be harmful to answer, um, I might share that. Yes, that that idea of mantras. I, I really love that for parents as well. When I was dealing with my toddler, when I, I was very triggered. Let's just put that out there. I was extremely triggered when I had a toddler. I have an eight-year-old now, not so mm-hmm. triggered. Um, but I was very, very triggered. And I used to really have mantras for myself, you know, to just stay calm um, when when she was really like heightened in some way. And, you know, just telling myself, you know, right. she's having a hard time. She's not giving you a hard time and over and over and over in my mind, over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that chanting piece, um, even that I, I find is a really good thing for parents to whatever it is, whatever, you know, whatever you find healing, whatever phrase or whatever it is that you find healing yourself. I find that to be something to remind yourself of in the moment when um, in the moment of dysregulation, but also in a moment of calm, because that's where you sort of can build your sort of muscle memory a little bit when you're calmer, so that you can reach mm-hmm. for it when you're not so calm. Um, but that's a really good point and something really good to remember in terms of trying to be connected to self. And also, you know, we're talking about this parent-child situation and also this racialized experience. And, you know, there's mantras for everything, you know, not just for parent-child stuff. And I feel like there's I'm sure there's mantras as well that people can use to ground themselves when they are in a situation, as you were talking about your experiences in um, your art therapy training, you know, even when you're sort of in the face of something that feels very not okay, um, and you're in a situation where you sort of feel like you're, it's very, when you are a student, when you're in training, it's not, you're, you don't always feel like you can be in a position to sort of confront, you know, whatever oppressive or inappropriate thing is occurring in front of you. Um, So much of responding to microaggressions and overt racism is about how safe do I feel to do that, right, Um, in in this situation. And and so even just having something to ground yourself or have something to reach for when you feel that dysregulation inside, but you don't feel comfortable or safe to even address it um, in the situation, I, you know, really thinking about how, what are the practices we have to ground ourselves outside of moments like that, but also within them as well. So that's another good piece you're reminding me of. I mean, one thing I'm thinking about specifically with this idea of racialization and other forms of marginalization is activism and those are states of being that we cannot heal from because they're happening. So they, they, they're activating, right? So it charges you up, but that's not something that necessarily like wusa away. It's like, no, we have to fight. So in that sense, another angle is how do I gather this energy, right? And channel it. And I don't just calm down, right? But I get angry for a reason. 
and channel it. And I think having art as a container for that is very powerful. People who are already artists, I definitely encourage them to engage in activism. People who are looking for a sense of purpose or mission, I definitely speak about activism as well. And, um, you know, to, yeah, to make meaning out of this experience. And I think especially now without, you know, um, going on a tangent, uh, we have to, we have to figure that out. Yeah, very much so. I, um, I happen to have watched that, um, you know, that Nina Simone documentary, um, what's, what happened, uh, Miss Simone? Anyway, she really, uh, there was a period there where she was really using, uh, her music less as a money, money generating activity and more of a connecting with her people activity and processing her own uh, grief and anger, um, with her music. And, um, and, you know, that activism piece that you're bringing up, um, and sort of makes me sort of want to go back to a question. And I'm and just in a general way, like, how have you seen, um, or have you seen in creative ways, people dive into their activism through this medium of art, right? Um, in an art therapy way, I'm thinking of really just the, the, um, you know, in the pictures of the marches you see from the civil rights movement of the 60s and just the signs people are carrying, right? Um, I am a man, right? Um, just even that just feels like it, it, it must be to even make that sign must be sometimes just cathartic. The, the signs people are carrying during the, um, the women's march, right? That people are really like pouring their anger and their grief into these amazing signs they're carrying um, during BLM marches and things like this. Even that I I found very moving um, and thought of, you know, even when people are making these signs, how much they may be processing things, just making the sign they're going to carry in a march. And so, you know, as we're coming to the end, I just wondered if there was anything else that pops up for you around um, parents and children and processing things around racism or racial oppression or even just racialized identities at home with kids and anything, any last sort of nuggets we can give to parents who might be listening? Well, I guess I'm thinking about um, resources to be able to speak about it and um, notably books, libraries, you know, New York public libraries. I don't know. Some people may not be in the city, but uh, that is um Old mine in terms of opportunities for baby, toddlers, children, and older to um, engage with community and for parents to be a part of that. Um, and of course, to obtain books that are written for those age groups about the subject, um, to be able to create opportunities to speak about these experiences. I mean, I think. Uh, my ability to navigate this world is from conversations that I've had with my parents, you know, and that's certainly going to be a part of my child's experience. You know, we have to be engaged in this reality and, you know, create and utilize resources to be able to continue to do that and also change it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to thank you so much, Kelly, for being with us today and having this chat with me. And, you know, just before we end, um, where can folks find you? And, you know, if they wanted to work with you or wanted to learn more about how art therapy can be a different way of processing things. Yeah. So um, 
People can reach me directly at my email address, which is kelly at peaceandprotection.org. If you want to read a little bit more about me, I have some profiles up in psychology today, um, in zencare.com, and also on LinkedIn. Um, and I also have an Instagram page, which is at Kelly Nicely underscore LCAT. So that's L-C-A-T. And, um, you know, I'm basically speaking about these types of things there. Um, you know, how our sense of self is indelibly tied to our experiences of marginalization and how we need to centralize our own experience to overcome the experiences of marginalization and therefore enhance our sense of self. Um, and, you know, anybody can just feel free to reach out to me and, you know, start a conversation about whether it's a good time for them to start therapy. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kelly. This has been great. I'm so happy, happy we were able to connect this way. Thank you so much for having me, Nanika. This is really a wonderful opportunity. And, um, you know, I really appreciate you reaching out. Absolutely. I'm glad we could connect. I'm so glad to have you in my circle of therapeutic energy. Thank you so much. That's all for today's episode of Project Parenthood. Thanks for listening, and I hope you found this helpful. Be sure to join me live on Instagram at BK Parents on Monday, February 26th at 12.45 p.m. for my monthly Ask Dr. Core and get your questions answered in real time. If you have a question for me about parent-child relationships, respectful parenting tips, and or parental mental health that you'd like me to cover in a future episode, shoot me an email at parenthood at quickanddirtytips.com, leave a message at 646-926-3243, or leave a message on Instagram at bkparents. And you can learn about my private practice working with parents living in New York State at www.brooklynparenttherapy.com. Catch you next week. Project Parenthood is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. And our marketing and publicity associate is Davina Tomlin. See you next week.